0: Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for November 30th, 2014. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon this morning is entitled, The Cry of Panic. One week ago yesterday, Jackson and I were walking from the Empire State Building through Times Square on our way to Motown the Musical. As we entered the heart of Times Square, we both heard the woman crying, my son, my son. As we got closer, we saw her. She had flagged down a police officer and luckily she was directly across from the tiny police station located in the heart of Times Square. Smart move, New York City. That is a crazy place, and it needs its own police department. She just kept repeating herself over and over and, and clutching at her scarf and coat. My son! My son! I can't find my son! She was panicked, and understandably so. This is a parent's worst nightmare. I felt guilty heading for a Broadway show with my son. I had the desire to shut down Times Square for about five minutes and get on a bullhorn and help to find this woman's son all throughout the rest of the evening and into the next day. And even today, I find myself wondering, hoping that she found her boy. I hope that it was one of those moments where they were both just not paying attention at the same time and they got separated from each other in an innocent way. All those lights of Times Square are so distracting for children and for adults. The crowds are pushy. It would be so easy to get separated and then to panic. I hope that he knew to look for a police officer and that they had a very glad reunion about 30 minutes later. I hope. But then I watch the news, and I see incident after incident where I'm not sure how trusted police can be, especially if you're a person of color. And in one blink of an eye, one woman's panic churns up a sense of global panic within me about something much bigger than one child that's missing in Times Square. And then on Monday, we went to the 9-11 Museum. We had actually both visited the memorial fountains that are the footprints of the World Trade Center buildings one and two back a couple of summers ago when our youth went to New York for our mission trip. But we didn't go to the museum then. So this past Monday, as we celebrated Jackson's 18th birthday with a mother-son trip to the Big Apple, we decided to visit the museum. As we waited in line to buy tickets to wait in line, the man who was heading up line one said, it will take you anywhere from two to four hours to go through the museum. We knew he was crazy. We could do a museum faster than that. That seemed kind of lengthy. After three hours we had to go in time to catch our plane, we could have easily stayed another few hours. It was so well done, just the right amount of remembrance balanced with hope. But it is shocking that that kind of thing, 9-11, doesn't happen more often, isn't it? As we stood in line to wait, we consider the fact that there is so much more goodness in the world than evil just by virtue of the fact that that kind of thing doesn't happen all the time. But it's hard to remember that there's so much goodness in the world when you're standing in the footprints of what used to be the Twin Towers. And when you walk through the museum and you see display after display, video after video of what happened on that day that will live in infamy, you are horrified by what happened. But it's still the truth. There is so much more good than evil in this world. But I had to explain to my now 18-year-old, who didn't remember this event because he was just in daycare when this happened, that Dad and I had made a plan, I told him. In the chaos of that horrible day, realizing that Charlotte was the largest financial district between New York City and Atlanta, coupled with the nuclear power plants in our vicinity, We actually discussed a plan for the coming days should we get separated from each other and not able to get in touch with each other, we would meet at the church. There's a bomb shelter here. Talk about being prepared for panic, that our church actually built into its 1960s plan a bomb shelter. The cry of panic is prominent in our lives. And it's nothing new. Russ picked us up at midnight on that Monday night at the airport. The verdict had just come in from Ferguson. The grand jury would not indict. And the riots had begun. Russ had left Bennett asleep in the bed and admitted after watching the news all night that he had been a little leery to leave him home alone. There was just no telling what was going to happen. He honestly was a bit nervous about leaving a sleeping teenager alone for a few moments for him to make a midnight airport run because, you see, that's what panic will do to you until you come to your senses and remember hope. It was once said, and no truer words have ever been spoken, it is sin to despair. I think I could tweak that today and say, it is sin to panic. Yes, there is ISIS and beheadings, and it is horrific. Yes, Ferguson is a mess. And Ebola, oh my goodness, terrifying. And then you enter the airports and they have you take off your shoes and your belt and put any liquids in a Ziploc bag and we feel safer because they have built a world out of panic and we have joined in and believe the message. Shame on us. But this is nothing new. We can go all the way back to Isaiah. Pleadingly, the prophet writes, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. If he were writing this today, he might put it it this way. We desperately need for you to show up, oh God. Where are you in the midst of bloody Ferguson? Molly Marshall says... That this reading from the Hebrew Scriptures for the first Sunday of Advent begins with lament over the sin of the people and the seeming absence of God. And they were afraid. Written during the time after the destruction of Jerusalem and prior to any rebuilding of the temple, this Text offers frank acknowledgement that the covenant relationship between God and the returning exiled people is gravely threatened. If only God would perform great acts like back at Sinai, then the people would be able to believe anew and turn from iniquity. They were panic stricken. But this is nothing new. We could go all the way back to Mark. The gospel lesson offers a bracing warning. Keep awake. Be alert. Mark's apocalyptic text suggests that humans do not have an unlimited time to do the work of God. Over and over in Scripture, we find this message be ready. Be prepared. You never know when the time is coming, and that can breed fear. Panic is in the very fabric of our psyches. It is not new with us. It did not start with any world wars, nor did it start with 9-11. It's much more ancient than that. But we could be The generation to stop the cry of panic and replace it with a cry of hope. I'm not hopeful about that idea though. With the 24-hour news cycle and media heightened with a social media influence now, it seems almost impossible that hope will be the cry. It's not profitable for them for hope to be the response. Fear will always boost their ratings and make them more money. But someone has to respond to these cries of panic with a word of hope, and that's our job. So, when Russ had you in your confession to click off all of your fears, and name those as confessions. He did so because the job of the church is not to cry panic. The job of the church is to cry hope. We should be informed but not obsessed. I've had to limit the amount of time that I spend watching TV news. I'm so sh- sorry, Sharon. That probably doesn't help your ratings. I especially, though, have to watch my cable news watching. I've had to be judicious in how many articles I read, how many opinion pieces I take in, how many blogs I skim. I've even had to curtail suspenseful movie going. It's too much. I have to make sure that I'm finding hopeful stories. I have to make sure that I'm reading about the folks who are working for good in horrible situations like Ferguson. I have to look for people who are doing the right thing in the face of tragedy. I have to make sure that I'm speaking truth to power, and doing it in love. I have to make sure that I am not consumed by the violence and hatred and panic of our culture. I have to remember and practice hope. What scares you? What makes you panic? The Bible has several consistent themes. One of them is fear not, do not be afraid. And I have figured out why some things of the Bible are so repetitive. It's because we are so slow to learn. It has to keep telling us over and over and over again because we won't act on it without being reminded, do not be afraid. And fear is a powerful, coercive force. What are you afraid of? My Sunday school class this morning, I, I confessed, here's a half a page. Y'all are going to help me finish writing the sermon. School shootings. Every time I hear that the public school has practiced a lockdown, it makes me afraid that a shooter is going to come in. But guess what? I remember seeing pictures of children hiding under their desks. Practicing for the air raids before my time. This isn't new. What are you afraid of? Test results from the doctor? Death or worse, dying? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of raising your children in a chaotic world? We had a long discussion this morning in Sunday school about stranger danger. Teaching our children to be afraid of the other. Someone Facebooked me a private message last night after I put on Facebook what we were talking about today in worship, and she sent me a private message that said, I don't want my parenting decisions based on fear. I don't want my parenting decisions to be based on fear. What are you afraid of? Rejection? Are you afraid of making a mistake? Are you afraid of taking a risk? Are you afraid of not having enough money to see you to the end? Are you afraid that someone will find out that you don't really know what you're doing? So many fears. Molly Marshall talks about hope. She says waiting in hope is an active spiritual practice. It requires a fundamental trust in God's faithfulness, And the humility to allow the mystery of God's work to unfold over time, trying to force the Holy One to function now, as in prior days, she says, displays a desire to control God. It also demonstrates an unwillingness to perceive God in the surprising ways God may choose to reveal divine intention in the present. So she says we act in God's stead, trusting the guidance of the Spirit. We act in God's stead. And if we are going to do that, we have to turn our cries of panic into cries of hope. St. Augustine offers a perceptive insight to guide our action. Hope, he says, has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Hope's beautiful daughter, anger, sees things the way they are. And Hope's beautiful daughter, courage, tries to change them to the way that they should be. I think we all have some sense of anger at the way things are. Do we have the courage to do our part to change them to the way that they should be? Advent is a time of waiting. Advent is a time of, prepare, of preparing. A time to get ready for the celebration of the coming of the tr- Christ child yet again into our lives. Frederick Beekner describes Advent this way. The house lights go off, and the footlights come on. Even the chattiest stop chattering as they wait in darkness for the curtain to rise. In the orchestra pit, the violin bows are poised, and the conductor has baton raised. The extraordinary thing that is about to happen is matched only by the extraordinary moment just before it happens. That moment, he says, is Advent. And so we wait in darkness, often surrounded with the cry of panic, And we yearn for the music to start. But it isn't quite time yet. We will have to cry hope for a while longer in order for the music to start. What if, what if this year, we all added our voices to the cry of hope? What difference would it make if instead of speaking and living out of your deep Fears and panic. What if we lived out of our very best hope? One of the short videos that we watched in the 9/11 Museum, including a time included a time-lapsed segment of the rebuilding of the destructed site. People and machinery scurrying around for days, weeks, months, years, until the destruction turned into something beautiful right before our very eyes. The magic of that footage. The new tower will be opened soon. They are just now putting the finishing touches on it. It stands as a reminder of hope in the face of panic. That is our job, people of God. We hope in the face of panic. We do not add to the panic. We hope. May it be so. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.